on the episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Josh. Thank you for joining us. Before we begin, I want to mention that this episode is brought to you in part by Audible. And our audiobook recommendation this week is The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde. This is a play that was written in the early 1900s. British comedy all about lying. Everybody in this play is lying in some degree to another character, and hilarity ensues. Yeah, it's the kind of story, it's very dry, droll British comedy. You need to be listening with your brain turned on. You can't just zone out or you'll miss the jokes. But when you're engaged with it, it's super hilarious. Yes, and to help with that, we highly recommend the version on Audible by the L.A. Theatre Works. This was either recorded live with an audience or it is actually a stage play that they put on. And you can hear the audience laughing in the background at the jokes and that... It makes it really lively and really fun to listen to. And the actors are just on point with the characters from the bit that we've heard. It's very, very funny. So head over to our link in the show notes when you're done listening to us. Get your free trial of Audible and download Importance of Being Earnest. And the reason why we chose this one, as Rachel said, this story involves characters lying to each other, which is really the subject matter of today's Adventures in Odyssey episode we're going to talk about. The title of this episode is The Tangled Web. It's episode 8 out of the box set, The Adventure Begins. Technically it's episode 12. Of the the show, but episode 8 out of the box set. The Tangled Web comes from a couplet in Sir Walter Scott's poem, Marmion, which is an extended poem. It's more like a romance in verse, if you use romance in the classic sense of the word. Mm-hmm. And the full couplet is, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Which is a classic literature reference, obviously, but it's never mentioned throughout the episode. It's almost like they scanned through a book of quotes about lying, quotes about lying, boom, that one. It's the title of a story that Wit wrote, but it's oh, never I directly mean, Whit referenced. Wit would probably have titled it that, chuckled to himself, and gone on his merry way. Yeah, probably. So the writers of the actual Adventures and Odyssey episode might have said, oh, we're going to title it that because that's the title of Wit's story. Perhaps. And Azar, they did not think this far in depth when titling it. I don't know. Anyway, Chris introduces the episode by saying that one of the biggest problems of telling a lie is that it usually backfires on you. And we have a skit come up like we do oftentimes, and it's kind of a weird skit. It's these little ladies talking in church about like how ugly someone else's hat hat is and then talking about, wait, I gave her that that hat. And, and I got her, it from you. And you told me it was your favorite hat ever. I did. Oh, I'm so sorry. I oh, don't worry. I told Millicent the same thing when I gave it to her. <laughs> and yeah. So I guess these old ladies are lying to each other about lying this to hat. Each other and it's found out, but they don't care. So it didn't really connect the thesis. It's kind of odd, but it's also very short. Also, would you not recognize your own hat? I think you asked that question. Yeah, too. I feel like you would. Like Unless they made it up new or something. I don't know. We don't know what era this is. If anyway. you were like, this is the ugliest hat I've ever seen. Well, I would know if I had a super ugly hat that I gave someone and then saw them wearing it, I would not say a word. Say nothing. Say nothing. So after that sketch, Chris comes back and says, hey guys, we're going to take you back to Odyssey on another way out adventure. And the last time she said something like this, almost the exact wording, 
was gifts for Majin Guy. Which is really, really, really slapstick. Huge slapstick, bizarro, what have you. So I was expecting that we were going to have another kind of crazy slapstick story, which we don't really. It's a fable. And it kind of gets to tall tale-ish proportions. It does. But it's not in the same joke-a-minute kind of vein. Right, or Twilight Zone-esque stuff that they've done with things like Room of Consequence and Kids Radio in further episodes. Yeah. But we did wonder if the producers felt the need to give the caveat at the beginning of each episode of this type to their audience. Well, because Odyssey is generally realistic fiction. Actions might move too fast in a heightened reality kind of way, but generally the stories are things up to this point Mm -hmm. that could happen. Now we'll get in later episodes with all the <laughs> yeah. all the spy all hoo-ha the spy and all of that where things get ridiculous. Delightful. But for this part, this is all the sort of things that could happen. Kids and, dealing with real world problems. And that begs the question, did the producers think that the kids listening would not understand that based on the way that the story was written? Or was it a conflict between the creators of the show and Focus on the Family? Would Focus on the Family, would they, you had better make it very, very clear? I don't know. Or they just are like, what can we have Chris say to introduce this episode? And it's true, when Chris is introducing an episode a week, the bucket might run dry of things that she can say. Yeah, which is much later in the series. Chris is reduced to, welcome to Adventures in Odyssey, and then she shuts up, and that's (laughs) like it. So... Chris heads back into the thesis of the show by saying the worst thing about a lie is that it always hurts someone else. And she gives an example of Abram and Sarah heading into Egypt because there was famine in the land and he told Sarah to lie to Pharaoh. And then we play the guess the Bible fact game Yeah, again. What, what was the lie what that the he lie? told? Go to Genesis 12 or wait till the end of the episode. Then we go back to the story proper, and she emphasizes this is going to be a crazy story. And then we, and then we start get with a quiet into day at the story, which is not all that crazy. It's Connie on the phone, and Chris says, this is Connie with one of her many friends that she's made since coming to Odyssey. She's talking on the phone to Debbie? While at work. Yeah. Well, it's a quiet day at Wit's End, so okay. apparently there's nothing really going on. Well, yeah, and apparently Mr. Whitaker is okay with if there's nothing really going on, you can talk with your friends on the phone. Probably not for extended conversations. Probably not. So this is one of her friends, I would assume that... She that probably she, met at school. Yeah, and I have only general memories of a couple times of Connie's friends actually coming into the episodes... I remember them almost always being just these annoying, kind of bubblehead, ditzy types. Except for Cheryl, who comes in several times. Is she later in the series? I think so. It's after Connie becomes a Christian. Okay. I don't remember very many times where we actually see Connie's friends. Yeah, I think they only show up every now and then. And this time, we don't even hear from Debbie. It's all just Connie on the phone. They're discussing a concert they're planning to attend that That afternoon. afternoon. Mm -hmm. And Debbie's gotten the tickets all together, and then apparently, based on what Connie says, she's like, so what what is your mom going to say? Connie says, no, my mom probably wouldn't want me to go, but listen, mom's the least of my worries. I need to figure out how to get time off early. Okay, so I feel like Wit very well could have overheard some of this. Well, 
he also says she's been talking about the group for weeks. So it is possible if he's walking up with a box of papers that he heard this conversation. But also, how presumptuous is it to be day of asking for time off? Yeah. Well, let's back up a second and talk about her statement about her mom. Because this is quite an honest statement on behalf of a teenager to say, yeah, my mom wouldn't want me to go to this. And I know that. And would you say that to your friends or would you just say, no, don't worry about my mom. It's, I'll deal with it. It's fine. Yeah, I think realistically, I don't know. I wouldn't have told my friends my parents said no, but I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. But I was a good kid. Yes, that would have felt very, very uncool. Even if I was going to disobey, I wouldn't have made a statement about it. Yeah. So Wit walks up with a box of papers he's been clearing out of the old storeroom. And she says hi and asks what he has. And he said, oh, these are just some of the old stories that I wrote a while back. Some of them I wrote before I opened this place. Some of them I wrote after it opened. And I thought we might catalog them and put them on the shelves for the kids. A lot of them probably aren't worth publishing. But I thought the kids might enjoy them. If only to see what not to write. Big so, laugh. And yeah, but honestly, how many kids are going to be just reading random stories that Wit wrote? Well, what do you do at Wit's end? I mean, it's, Eat ice cream? Hang out with your friends? And we've established, apparently, from... Play with the, the electric train? Play with the electric train. Well, Break into the basement? <laughs> yes. According to last episode. Also, last episode they mentioned listening to radio programs. So yeah. maybe the kids would sit around and read stuff that Mr. Weaver wrote. Maybe. Who knows? So anyway, Connie is actually not paying attention because she gives this kind of ha-ha courtesy laugh. And then, um, wait, I was wondering if I could take off early this afternoon? Why? And she just kind of is like, because to Spend- do stuff. Yeah, I'm spending the night with my friend Debbie and we just have some stuff we want to do. So if you're planning on spending the night, why do you need the afternoon off? Well, we just have some other stuff to do. And Wit's giving her chances to... To explain what's going on, and she doesn't. And so he says, well, yeah, but I'd like to get some of these cataloged first. And she's like, okay, okay. And then he dumps them out on the table, and she's like, there must be 50 stories here. And he mentions that he wrote them when his wife died. After his wife died, yeah. And that it was a way of him dealing with the grief, Mm -hmm. which this is the first we've heard any of Mr. Whitaker's backstory. And it's just for a brief moment, we have a hint of his past a little bit. Yeah. He picks up one and he says, oh, I remember this one, the Tangled Web. A little far out, but it was still cute. And he suggests she reads it. And she's like, well, I, I really kind of want to get this stuff done. And he's like, no, no, like, no, no, you really should read, this, should read one. this one. And so she's on the clock. She's working. And he's like, okay. And she goes, <clears throat> and starts reading aloud. Which, of course, you have to do in radio. So the story is about Jeremy Forsythe, who was a pretty normal kid, but getting older. And, and wanting more freedom. Yeah. And so then we switch into that story. story. Connie is now the narrator for this story, which exists in Odyssey. The kids mention things like Wit's End and stuff like that. But this is a fictional funhouse mirror Odyssey Mm -hmm. that this story takes place in. Mm -hmm. Jeremy Forsyth, by the way, is David Griffin, is the voice. Jimmy Barclay. Mm-hmm. As soon as he opened his mouth, as soon as he started talking, I was like, whoa, Jimmy Barkley, before Jimmy is actually introduced. So mm-hmm. it's another moment of an actor who becomes a big part of Odyssey. This is the first time we've seen them 
in a role that's not their main character role. I think so. Yeah, and his mom's voice, I think, is the one that was the mom in the last episode, but I don't. I think so, but she did better in this one. She, yeah, she, she is much better one. in this one. So Jeremy Forsyth comes downstairs in the morning and is like, Bye, Mom, I'm going to be late. And she's, No, 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 sit down and eat your breakfast. You have enough time to do that. So he sits down at the table and says, Oatmeal? Yeah. And she says, What was that, Jeremy? Did you say you want a second helping of oatmeal? Yeah, that honestly would have gotten me in deep trouble as yeah. a kid. I would never have been allowed to say. My mom wouldn't have just been like. Do you want a second? No, that would have been. We're getting punished for such disrespect and ingratitude. Rudeness. Um, Yeah. But anyhow. So he says, no, no, no. I mean, mm, the breakfast oatmeal looks good. Delicious. Delicious. (laughs) And, And his dad says, never go in against your mom, but she will always win. Especially about oatmeal. I heard that. Yeah, and Jeremy then says, you know, I noticed that you and Mom never eat oatmeal. What's going on? Because we are parents, and we've already eaten our life's allotment of oatmeal. Which sounds very much like Calvin from the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes, and his dad is the sort of thing that Calvin's dad would say. Absolutely. (laughs) Through and through. However, then we run up against another thing that both of us had a bit of trouble with, This is not helping your case as a parent to not lead by example. Yeah, if you want your kid to eat oatmeal, suck it up and eat some oatmeal. My dad was very good about this. My mom juiced, as in she made vegetable juice. My dad did not like it. He would take the glass, chug it, and go chase it with water, but he would drink it. And he ate everything that she made, even though he didn't like it. And there were times we knew he didn't like it, but he still ate it. The oatmeal, though? He got away with far more brown sugar than we were ever allowed in our oatmeal. It was soupy with brown sugar. Which is the best way to eat oatmeal. (laughs) This is true. I like oatmeal, but it's really good with brown sugar. But the point is, is he wasn't just like, I'm the grown-up, I don't have to. You're the kid, you do have to. Exactly. He was very Which there are times when that is an appropriate response as a parent. I'm not sure oatmeal was No, usually that card was pulled on... There's the extra cookie. Daddy gets it because he's daddy. So the conversation continues where Jeremy says, oh, I can't wait till I'm big and then I get to decide when I have for breakfast and if I have breakfast. And his dad says, well, when you're an adult, somebody is still always making decisions for you. And we hear from the kitchen, his mom say, honey, I need you to do something. See what I mean? Which is a really tired joke. But the idea of this henpecked husband, the woman ruling the roost, this is as old as comedy itself. And it reminded me a bit of an essay that I read by G.K. Chesterton. The title is Cockneys and Their Jokes. And I'm going to read you just a little portion of it because it's fantastic. So at one point in his essay, he's talking about the stereotype of mother-in-laws in comedy as these horrible shrewish monsters and he's like listen i understand the joke even though my mother-in-law is really cool and i have a good relationship with her there's precedent for this joke and then he uses it as a jumping point to talk about men and their wives the same is true of the perpetual jokes in comic papers about shrewish wives and henpecked husbands It is all a frantic exaggeration, but it is an exaggeration of a truth. 
whereas all the modern mouthings about oppressed women are exaggerations of a falsehood. If you read even the best of the intellectuals of today, you will find them saying that in the mass of the democracy, the woman is the chattel of her lord, like his bath or his bed. But if you read the comic literature of the democracy, you will find that the lord hides under his bed to escape from the wrath of his chattel. This is not the fact, but it is much nearer the truth. Every man who is married knows quite well, not only does he not regard his wife as a chattel, but that no man can conceivably ever have done so. The joke stands for an ultimate truth, and that is a subtle truth. It is not one very easy to state correctly. It can, perhaps, be most correctly stated by saying that, even if the man is the head of the house, he knows he is a figurehead. So just like any good joke, this is a reflection, a mirror image of a truth that people understand. The woman is the neck, and she can turn the head any way she wants. Yeah, and it's not like you don't rule our household, no. but there is a degree to which, you know, in a marriage, the husband acquiesces to the desires of the wife, just as a wife submits to her husband. Well, also, there's ways to go about asking your husband to do things. The wife comes in and says, I'm out of flour. Can you go pick me up some on your way home from work? And he says, honey, I can't. Remember, I need to be working late on that project. And so she turns to Jeremy and says, well, Jeremy, I guess you're going to have to do it on your way home from school. And Jeremy gets whiny. Man, he gets pretty whiny so pretty quickly. Whiny. He starts off by saying, well, mom, it's my afternoon to go to wit's end. Which, apparently, they have a system in place. He has one or two days a week that, on your way home from school, you can go ahead and stop in at Wit's End and hang out with your friends or whatever. And if he goes and gets the flower, by the time he goes to the store and back, it's going to be too late. He won't be able to go to Wit's End. And she says, I'm sorry, honey, but I really do need that flower. Yeah, it just kind of is what it is. So she gives him money, and he's like, why can't you do it? Yeah, it's full on oh wine. But she's still pretty patient, honestly, with him, and pretty reasonable. She says, listen, your dad takes the car to work. I'm not going to carry the baby down to the grocery store, get the food, and come back. You can stop by on your way home from school. Again, this is small-town, idealized Americana. In the 80s. And this is an era when I guess you could send your eight-year-old kid to the store. You might be to get older stuff. than that, but still, sending your twelve-year-old to the store to get stuff is very different from what you would be comfortable with today. In I would not be comfortable sending my twelve-year-old. So he takes the money and goes to school. The bus shows up, and she handles it very reasonably. But this is also a prime opportunity for them to talk about responsibility. Hey, Jeremy, you are part of this family. This is something your mother needs you to do. Man up. Yeah, also, at the very beginning of the story, he's introduced as being at a stage when he wants more freedom. And I would go so far as to sit him down and say, young man, you should know that with great power comes great responsibility. Okay, go on. <laughs> to say. Okay, so he zips up his spidey suit and heads off to school and broods the entire time about the fact that he can't go to Wits End and he has to go to the store. So he goes through his school day, mm -hmm. and then when he's going to be going, his friends 
are on their way to wit's end and he's just looking after them wistfully yeah wishing he could go with him and his friends are like dude wit's end is this way and we heard mr whitaker has a new ice cream machine he's gonna be giving away free ice cream and then there's that new display that he's been talking about which shows all about how a movie camera works and these are exactly the things that jeremy has always dreamed of the ice cream is mentioned he just goes oh wow so he debates within himself maybe i could just stay a little while and technically he could his mom never said you may not go to wit's end but it was an understood i feel like thing. it's pretty well understood it was very though, well understood that you're giving up your wit's end afternoon yes. to do this errand so he is disobeying in his dawdling but he goes and looks at the display and he has a small dish of ice cream and then he goes to the store to get the flower and realizes when he gets there that somewhere in between all of this... He's lost the money. Yeah. It worked its way out of his pocket. He has no idea where it is and he can't get the flower. And he is dreading telling his mom when he gets home. So he gets home and she's like, hey honey, did you get the flower? No. And she asks him why not and he says it got stolen. And this lie balloons. She asks him details about how to get stolen and stuff. And he starts saying, oh, some older kid threatened me and took it. He pushed me into an alley and I tried to stop him. He was too big. And she immediately goes into overprotective mom. Oh, my poor baby, are you hurt? Are you okay? Yeah, and I just feel bad that I lost the money. Oh, don't worry about the money. It doesn't matter. At least you're okay. And he's like, well, I'm glad she said that. Then she says she's going to call his dad. And he's like, no, no, you you don't need to call dad. And she said, I'm sorry, honey. I'm glad you're okay. But I think your dad's going to want to know that some teenager is out there threatening his son. So this is a bit of a strange scenario. Granted, this is a fable. But the kind of lie that Jeremy just told is the kind of lie that's more common with somebody who lies chronically than a good kid who just made something up because he was too ashamed to tell the truth yeah, at this point. Yeah, and the way he doubles down, it adds more and more detail to it. Yeah. It, it is more like what I would imagine coming from someone who is a habitual liar. He could have just said, got stolen from me, and she asked if he saw who it was. He could have said no, but he goes into great detail about it, and he didn't have to. And then she believes him, so that leads us to believe that he's generally truthful, because if he was a chronic liar... Then she, why would she believe why him? Why would she believe him? So she calls his dad, and his dad calls Jeremy's teacher, and Jeremy's teacher calls the school board. And so the it just, like, calls. becomes this huge thing. And here's where the more tall tale aspect of the story begins to kick in. <laughs> and we start to see that this is what Chris was talking about with this way out tale. Yeah. Eventually, it gets around to the police, and the police are going to send somebody over to talk to Jeremy about the details and try to see if they can find the guy. But their neighbor, who has a police radio, apparently, shows up first. And Harry Snoopnagel. Harry Snoopnagel. And I feel like this was just something the producers put in because Officer Harley is funny. Because initially, this was Officer Harley. And then they edited it out. Are you sure? The wiki said because it had... It didn't say that this character was Officer Harley. Maybe he was. I think he was. At all events, Snoop Nagel is played by Will Ryan. And he is full-on 
Frodo Harlow Doyle. He is a private detective. To to the point of saying that he went to detective school. Because he shows up and he's like, I thought I'd help the police out and just start things off. And the dad's like, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea. Oh, come on, Raj. It'll give me a chance to test out all the stuff I learned at that private detective school. He's a little more pushy and overbearing than Harlow otherwise. There's a weird gag that's repeated over and over again with this character, where he'll ask a simple oh, question, anything, huh? and someone will answer it, it's just and then with he him and, the dad and then he doesn't hear it. But it would play out like, "Wow, crazy weather we're having here, right?" Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Yes, we are. It's funny. It's not brilliant, but it's cute. Yeah. It's a big song and dance, I noticed, of getting to the point of asking Jeremy questions. Because he comes in and he says, oh, by the way, Roger, where were you when all of this was taking place? I was at work. And then, of course, he has the loaded question fallacy. Oh, you're a workaholic, are you? No, I'm not. And that's fine. What, you don't want to provide for your family? <laughs> you don't want to support them? No, I do want to support them. And Everything what? is an accusation. Yeah, which sort of makes you a little nervous, like, oh, shoot, he's going to do that to Jeremy. But he sits down and he's like, we need to start with what we in the Force call the four W's. Who, what, where, and why. What about how? Okay, the four W's and an H. What about when? Okay, the five W's and an H. Does anyone have any more letters? And then he starts off with something, quote, easy, your name. Oh, my name is Jeremy Forsythe. Okay, that's it. And, and that's the done. only question he's going to ask so in the interview. Big much ado about nothing. Which, again, this is also proto Harlow. Although Harlow tends to get distracted, so he leaves. And oh no, he doesn't because he says it's all over town. We don't need any more information. The police have an APB out on the guy, and the mm-hmm. mayor's going to give Jeremy a citation for being so brave, trying to hold on to this money that he was going to use to buy his mother some flowers. Flower. To buy his mother a rose. And it's such a testament to small town courage. And Jeremy still says nothing. So they go. And they go through this whole song and dance. There's a ceremony and a parade in his honor for the brave boy of Odyssey Mm -hmm. standing up against the mugger. And he gets a citation and he thanks everybody for it. And. And that's the end of the story. Mm -hmm. And the story ends with eventually the citation got put away and collected dust. And everyone forgot about the event altogether, except for Jeremy, who remembered it for the rest of his life. The end. And Connie finishes reading the story and she's like, what, he got away with it? And Wit's like, "Mm, I don't think so. Read the end again. And she says, oh... Yeah, I guess he didn't get away with it, really. He basically suffered with a guilty conscience over it for the rest of his life. And Wit lays that all out to her. A lie just builds and builds and builds and eats at you and eats at you and eats at you until you either have to come clean or you have to live with it for the rest of your life. And she says, why are you telling me all this? Or why do you think I am telling you all this? It's about the concert. How did you know? And it's so funny because we said at the beginning... Wit is kind of psychic, and not really psychic. He's just observant, Mm -hmm. and he knows things that are going on. Mm -hmm. This is another great episode of building their relationship, because this is something that he tends to do with her a lot. Lead her into these... Teachable moments. Teachable moments, yeah. 
And he says, I know you've been talking about this band for a long time. I saw in the newspaper that they were coming to town in a concert. You asked for the afternoon off. Well, but I wouldn't tell me in, why. Would, and why wouldn't tell me tell why. Me unless your mom doesn't want you to go. Yeah, I put two and two together. So, yes, I passed you this story for a reason. So you're going to need to make a choice about what you're going to do. And she's like, are you going to tell my mom if I go? And he says, no. Something I think is fun is that Wit is not necessarily criticizing her taste in music or what have you. No, that's not the point. The point is more, would your mom want you to be here? And we were trying to figure out reasons why Connie's mom might be against her going to the concert. Connie and her family are not believers, so I don't think it would be a matter of necessarily content of the music. Also, Connie as a character doesn't strike me as someone who would be going to a super scandalous hard rock show of that era. I have a hard time imagining her at an Ozzy Osbourne concert or something like that. So it would be probably mostly a matter of the type of people that could be there. You could have a completely clean, straight-laced for a rock band performance and have a bunch of idiots in the audience. Yeah, it's entirely possible. You cannot control your fan base, really. And it may be a lack of supervision. I mean, we're left to speculate why Connie's mom wouldn't want her to be there. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, Wick doesn't even go into all the reasons. He's like, listen, this is between you and your mom. I'm going to go. I'm going to take my papers and get out of here. Either way, you have the afternoon off. If this show is that much to you, then call Debbie. Otherwise, call your mom. And he leaves. Mm -hmm. And we're left with quiet. And this is the first use of extended quiet that we've come across in an Odyssey episode. And it's so good. It's so good. All you hear is music in the background, and you hear her pacing back and forth, saying nothing. And then you hear her walk to the counter, pick up her phone. And you hear ring, ring, hi, mom. And then it cuts off, and it's the end of the show. And it's just such a nice piece of audio storytelling. Mm -hmm. Honestly, one of the most sophisticated we've come across. So far, yeah. Yet. Also, there's something to be said here for Wit's brilliant use of psychology in that moment because he knows Connie well enough to know that she is probably going to call her mom. Yeah, Wit plays four-dimensional chess a little bit with Connie, and he does this a lot with her. And he does it with other kids, too, all the time. But Wit knows Connie well enough, and he knows that she is generally a pretty decent kid. Mm -hmm. And he knows that her conscience is touched and stuff. That he feels confident enough to walk away and allow her to make her own choice. Mm -hmm. That it's not going to be putting her in a situation that's dangerous or what have you. It's just fun to observe that about Mr. Whitaker. So Chris comes back on the scene and she says it's good that Connie did the right thing. Even though she might feel bad about it right now, she'll feel a whole lot better about it later. Which is what usually happens when we do the right thing. Or when we come clean after a lie. And... Then she addresses what she didn't address in the beginning, that God knows when we tell a lie, it will always hurt someone because it will always hurt him. And this, I actually pumped my fist in the air when I heard this, and I was, yes, this might be the most outrightly biblical thing that Chris has said. Yeah. 
uh, in one of her little vignettes. Because at first she started off as lies always hurt someone. And at the beginning of the episode, I was pushing my imaginary hipster glasses up on my nose and like, well, actually, because the real point is that when we sin, our sin is primarily against God. Other people get hurt in the process, yes, but our unrighteousness stinks to heaven. And that's why we need grace. That's why we need Jesus Christ. But when Chris came back and said, our sin always hurts someone, and that someone is God, I was just like, well done. Thank you for not mincing words here. Yeah. And then she goes back to the story of Abram and Sarah from Genesis 12, which is the story where they go into Egypt and Abram says to Sarah, please tell Pharaoh that you are my sister because you are beautiful and I'm afraid they're going to kill me because of you if they know that you're my wife. Which is dumb, but she it was a thing. She to do it and it was a thing. And Pharaoh actually takes her into his harem and the original hebrew text does not say anything beyond that they don't really specify that anything particular happened yeah it doesn't make it sound like pharaoh had sex with her no no. but it was a near mess yes when he took her into his harem then god afflicted the entire household of pharaoh with a plague of some some sort sort of plague and he calls abram back and says what are you doing yeah, why have you done this to me? Why have you done this to me? Take this woman and go away. And they leave. And that's it. And that's it. That Bible story doesn't really have much to do with the Odyssey episode, except that it involves people lying. I think a better it... illustration would be Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, yeah. Lying about the money mm-hmm. and then getting struck dead. Yes, very dramatic and very closely related to this. Except that no one gets struck dead. Yeah, well, true. Abram's story is related because he lied and it gets found out. Maybe they didn't even need a Bible story. Yeah, maybe not. So anyway, that is a fairly minor point in what overall is a pretty solid show. Honestly, this is among the stronger ones we've listened to on a whole. Well, I think we're still holding with You Want a Good Adventure from Odyssey episode, Have Connie. And the reason is that Connie is our only well-developed kid character i think she's our only three-dimensional character really at all because wit becomes three-dimensional or at least somewhat but mr whitaker is always the mentor he's the voice of wisdom yeah he's gandalf he's dumbledore he is that mentor figure connie though we see her internal conflict we Mm -hmm. see a generally good kid who has some hard questions that she needs answered. And she wants to do the right thing, but she also wants to do the wrong things. And she wants to do the right things for the wrong reasons. And we see all of this, which is so human, which we don't really have with these one-off kid characters, because these one-off kid characters are oftentimes to illustrate a very specific point. Yes, they show up for purposes of the plot. And therefore, the story does not conform to their character. They conform, they conform to, the story. to the purposes of the story. We also are getting, we've spent more time with Connie. We know Connie more than we know any of these one-off kid characters. And there's something to be said for building the relationship between your audience and your characters. And building a relationship between characters. characters, Connie and Wit, we see their dynamic and we Mm -hmm. see the way they butt heads and we see the gentle way that Wit is always 
bringing her back and pointing her toward truth. So things to look forward to because they do start bringing more recurring kid characters. Yeah, and we mentioned Jimmy Barclay. He's mm-hmm. coming up pretty soon, I think. I think so. I think it's next album that we okay. start getting those characters. One other fun thing with this story is the use of the frame story as a way to help explain the other story. In some of the episodes, the frame story was kind of unnecessary to the core of the story. This one, if you gave just the story with none of the explanation before and afterward, it wouldn't make any sense. You need Wit's commentary on it in order for the punchline, the... And he remembered it for the rest of his life to have its kind of tragic feeling that it's supposed to have. You can't even have the style of storytelling that Adventure from Odyssey usually is. Adventure from Odyssey usually is present tense, first person, everything's happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that story was written with an omniscient narrator. With an omniscient narrator and with the ending in mind. Yes. So this works. And I have wondered... Listening to this one and remembering Gifts from Magic Guy, I wonder if at this point they were experimenting with avenues for doing more experimental storytelling that became more possible when they brought in the Imagination Station, the Room of Consequence, Kids Radio, BTV, all those storytelling tools that are in-universe mm-hmm. and give them license, particularly in Room of Consequence and the To BTV play with weird stuff. Radio. Yeah. Well, yeah, in Kids Radio is basically lots of weird little sketches. Sketch comedy. Mm-hmm. Interesting to see the seeds of that starting even now. And with that, I think it's time to wrap it up. If you like this episode and you are new to the podcast... Welcome! You can listen yes. to the rest of them. <laughs> yes, go listen to all eight. And don't forget to subscribe so that you get notifications every time we upload, which is usually every two weeks. And also get on audible.com, check out the importance of being earnest, and enjoy. In the meantime, have a wonderful week, and we will see you next time. Toodaloo!